Today in Flex in the City, we talk to Carl Harder, co-founder and managing director of Abundance Investments, financial services game changer, lifelong environmentalist. All that happening right now in Flex and the City. Hello, everybody. This is Rachel Treese for Flex and the City. It is a sunny afternoon here in Luxembourg, and I am interviewing Carl Harder, who's in Gloucestershire today. And Carl is the co-founder and managing director of Abundance Investments. He's a financial services game changer and a lifelong environmentalist. Carl, excited to have you on the show. Hello, Rachel, and thank you very much for inviting me. Um, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, great, great to have you. So, so you're in Gloucestershire, but I believe this is a recent move. Is that right? Yes, so I'm, I'm 45 years uh, living in Hackney in London. Right. I grew up there and um, yes, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's, it's, it's got all the concrete you could want, but uh, past me and, and possibly because of the, you know, the sort of environmental side of, of my life, um, you know, wanted a little bit more greenery, wanted to be near a mountains, um, also a climber. So uh, a move to Gloucestershire kept me close enough to London, but uh, also close to Snowdonia so I can get off and climb on the weekends um which is uh, fantastic believe it or not i have climbed snowden once in my life managed it's a beautiful it. mountain it's a beautiful <laughs> mountain i did manage it so what interests me about you carl i interview a lot of people from the financial services industry but people who've you know started their career in financial services and you didn't and you found your way in so Tell us a little bit more about that. It's a, a funny journey in. So I, my background as I've been in the environmental sphere most of my life, I did environmental science at university. Uh-huh. I went on to uh, do environmental policy. Um, and then from there, went into policy work originally. Um, uh-huh. I was a researcher for, for MPs working on renewable energy policy and green policy more broadly. And, and I suppose rather naively went into that world thinking I could change the world through politics and um, quickly became quite disillusioned in, in, in that space and realized that you know, the impact and the ability to create change was minimal. And, um, mm. uh, but through that, I, I suppose, starting to get interested in, in, in other ideas for change and, and, and got funded to set up a, a first green business, um, mm. uh, which subsequently failed. Um, it was a lot of lessons in, in how you make business work. I, if you're spending money, you've got to get some money that comes in mm. on the other side. Um, and then... But through that, uh, a business came out of it, which um, actually was quite successful and was was funded by Anita Roddick um, as one of the key key investors. Um, and so what was that business, Carl? That was called Green Your Office, and it combined uh, selling sort of green products uh, and services to to officers, um, predominantly in the UK. Um, and what was really interesting about it is we put in uh, a, a green cleaning service. Uh, very uh, sort of oddly from from where I am, from what I currently do. Um, so we had um, cleaners going into the offices, um, and rather than the officers paying lots of money for quite expensive environmental policy reviews, our cleaners went in and uh, measured waste, measured recycling, and we could give recycling rates to the officers, and we could get floor one competing against floor two on improvements in in recycling, and and for that extra bit of value that we were creating we asked our clients to pay the cleaners a little bit more in, in salary so we were the first firm in the uk to to deliver living wage cleanings so we pioneered what is now quite a, a widespread concept of, of of london living wage working with an outside right. london citizen 
Um, and uh, yeah, so did some really interesting things. But through that, um, I started to sort of see the challenges that sort of ethical or green businesses were facing in scaling. You know, it was about trying to find the money that would come into the business that understood the values of those businesses and would help them grow. And, and that interest in the financial side started to lead me to think about um, the, you know, the ideas that led on to abundance. Um, so I left Greener Office and, uh, uh, and went on to, to found Abundance, um, which uh, was quite an interesting journey because I, I sort of walked uh, or at a certain point was told by um, a, a, an individual that I went to have a chat with about the idea. I said, I want to bring together people, you know, pull their money and use it to build wind turbines and solar farms. And uh, this, this gentleman said, oh, Carl, OK, if you're going to do that, you have to go and talk to the FSA, as it was back there. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you're mad. That's the Food Standards Authority. Why, <laughs> why would I want to talk to them? <laughs> so um, but I went home and Googled what the FSA was and this sort of weird world of financial services came up uh, in front of me. And uh, I, I went and talked to the FSA and, and was very quickly told that, yeah, I couldn't go and set this business up or, or launch this business and, and then went on. To, to find partners, um, three of us who ultimately went on and founded Abundance, who, who came with a bit more financial services experience than, than I had at that point. And yeah, that was 2011. We got authorised um, and, uh, and, and been doing it ever since. So you must have grown up with the film with Gordon Gecko, and, uh, you know, watched The Wolf of, of Wall Street. So what really drove you to get involved in the industry? It's a really, it's a really interesting point because yes, you know, if I go back to my, um, I went to school on the sort of borders of, of London and Essex, and you know, there was a big flow of, of people from my school into into the city, um, mm -hmm. and I looked at that journey and thought it, it felt at that point that the reputation of the city was all about individual gain, you know, sort of making money for yourself and and maybe doing something for your clients on the on the, on the way, and that. Uh, you know, without really digging into what financial services was was at that point, it was that feeling that it wasn't doing something more sort of a broader, or it didn't have a broader purpose. Um, that piece was was lost to me, and, and therefore, as a sector, it wasn't something that I was interested in at that point. And um, I think that's what's been really interesting as I've got more involved in financial services is, is realizing how fundamental it is, and actually, it is about placing money into yes, new businesses, new projects, new things. It's about creation. It's about um, building the future of, of our world and planet. And, and actually then once you realize it's, it's power, which maybe is, is common sense, but was lost on me as an 18 year old. Um, uh, when you understand its power, then you think actually it's really important that we have people in there who, who have a set of values, which is about making the world more sustainable, making it a, a more equitable place for people to live because ultimately yeah, I think most people understand that equality and sustainability are fundamental to having a good good life for, for, for themselves and, and the world so yeah I think it's a an interesting journey that I've been on but Wall Street yeah, I think it was, yeah Wall Street gecko was the sort of <laughs> my sort of sole view of financial services um back in back in the 80s. yeah so, so so I'm probably going to struggle um to ask you about financial services leaders but you mentioned that you you worked with the great Anita um Roddick and, and you know maybe there are some other leaders but you know I, I'm, I'm curious what, what what was she like what was her um leadership um style like and what did you learn from from her as a leader I, th I think it was, you know, Anita was 
amazing as a person to sort of know and 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 work with in the passion that she brought to business, not just from the problem solving, creating a great product that you can be really proud of, but using that business to then create value for the stakeholders around the business. So, mm. you know, the types of things that she talked passionately about was not just the sort of the work she did with the supply chain and the sort of the communities in which, you know, some of the you know, uh, plants and and, and and so forth and seeds were taken that ultimately would create the products. But it was also how she would bring on junior staff members and and grow these people who had come from, you know, maybe more disadvantaged backgrounds to to, to, to maybe us and um, and, and grown grow through the business to, to build them into sort of positions of leadership. And, and it's just taking, you know, that a lot of satisfaction from seeing growth happen around her with individuals and, and also growth in the communities and supply chains that she was supporting, as well as having that sort of hard purpose to the business to be not just about profit, but about trying to make the world you know, sort of better place in, in, in the process. Well, she was a pioneer, really, wasn't she? I, I think you know, her, you, you've got the sort of likes of Ben and Jerry, who, who yeah. also sort of pioneered that, that sort of concept of business around the same time. And and ultimately, those businesses have been now absorbed by you know, more traditional, larger corporates. But the core ideas and the sort of culture of those businesses has also permeated out into those wider corporates, and 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 the influence you know, has has gone 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 further. And I think that was the piece that Anita was really powerful on. Was you know, it, you can create a wonderfully ethical and 100% pure business, and you can serve as 10 people on a high street making soap. In your 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 back um, in your kitchen, which is where she started. But to have real impact, you need scale, and you want businesses who who yeah. build that scale, who have you know the good values and and the, and the good product at its centre. And yes, on that journey, you've got to make compromises. Inevitably, you know, it's it's impossible for us as humans to take yeah. a step out of our door without having some impact on on the world. But um, as technology gets better, as we get more conscious about the impacts we're having, we understand those impacts, we can we can make better technology. So we minimize that impact and and um, and that's ultimately what we've we've always got to be thinking about. Yeah. So your company is called Abundance. It's a name I absolutely um love. If you were to really bottom line, you know, what kind of people should should go to abundance? You know, what's its, you know, if you were to bottom line the purpose, how do you describe that, um, Carl? So what we are is a place for people who want to invest uh, money, uh, but know that that money is, is is having a positive impact on the world, as well as earning them a, a return, which is fair for the risk they're taking. So um, people come to us to invest their money directly into building new green infrastructure. That could be mm-hmm. anything from a wind farm to a solar farm, but also doing some quite pioneering new technologies. So we're uh, I think we're the, the UK's largest funder of tidal stream technology. So these are projects where they, you know, you're harnessing the power from uh, from the tides going in and out, um, and, and and other sort of innovative sort of elements of the renewable infrastructure and, and low carbon infrastructure. Um, so yes, in, in a very simple sense, we're a place for people to come to to ensure, you know, to feel that they're having an impact with their money, um, which is above and beyond just earning a financial return for themselves. Absolutely. And do you think, as a whole, um, the financial services industry is doing enough 
to connect with a new generation of investors who do want to um, have a purpose and, and, and use their money to greater good. Yeah, I think I think you know there's obviously been a huge awakening over the last three years and a massive shift in the traditional financial services world. I think you know the challenge the traditional world has is that you know they've got a lot of baggage uh, and a lot of leg- uh, you know, legacy issues they've got to deal with. So you know the the average you know the, the person who is is really motivated to invest ethically, and we know from the research we've done, you know that is a, a, a sizable chunk now of of UK investors. They're looking for authentic brands that they can invest with, where they they feel that that brand really understands um, what it is to invest ethically and and and, and can be honest about mm-hmm. many compromises actually, because we know that it's in pure green invest it's impossible it's almost impossible to create a, a zero impact thing um, so it's always about being honest about what is is, is being achieved and, and where the compromises are and I think this is something that actually the, the traditional financial service system is going to really struggle to be able to provide that that honesty um, and, and and actually also be trusted around whatever they say because of the the legacies they've got um, but I think, you know, with that all said, you know, there's a huge number of initiatives now happening in the mainstream financial world, um, helping, uh, you know, sort of get us on this, this, this change. And, 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 and we need, you know, everyone from Larry Flink, who, Flink who's, who's obviously talking very strongly now about this, that uh, rock, you know, that's fantastic and, and, and is very welcome. And, um, and, and we need BlackRock to change. We need, um, Abbey Nasset change, all these entities need to, to change, and, and they are, um, but they have baggage, um, which is going to be difficult for them to sort of move out of as rapidly as we need them to move. Okay, and if, and if you could remove the baggage, what would you do? Um, well, I think that the, the number one thing, you know, that, you know from a, me, that you know, if I'm looking at the issues the world faces, climate is the number one issue. Um, because without a stable climate, we can't deal with many of the other issues, such as the quality and, and, and so forth, and or the inequality um, issue. So climate is number one, and you know, it, it's pretty well documented now that we have to have the radical change in yeah. years, not decades. It has to be this this decade. And and the number one thing that you know financial services can do is is stop funding new coal plants. Right new tar sand, uh, new oil ex- exploration. There is no need for it. The technology exists now to deliver our energy um, cleanly, and that is where the money needs to be going. Good. And so so now I'm going to move on to the leadership side of things, uh, Carl. I think there's three of you who are leaders um, at Abundance. How important do you think um, the concept of being human is in financial services, and, and how do you go about doing it at Abundance? I think it's a really interesting, interesting question. So there's, you know, there's two sides to that. So being human in financial services, I think, is a lot about how you communicate. So one of the one of the interesting dynamics we've got is as Louise Wilson, who is um, who is one of my partners. She comes from UBS Equity Capital Markets. She was MD of uh, Equity Equity Capital Markets for EMA um, before she came to Abundance, and then Bruce Davis, who's worked in retail financial services. So the communication mm. of Retail product to 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 sort of audience is also a co-founder of Zopa, which was the first peer-to-peer lending platform. Um, so something that you know, just in that human aspect, 
we're trying to make financial services a little bit more human in the way we, we talk to people. So when we were talking about how we communicate abundance at the start, um, I could still, well, it would have been only about a year since I'd had to pick up a textbook to, to read what a bond was. I didn't know what a bond was, but a bond is a term that is often sort of bound around in financial services. Everybody should know it. But you go and talk to the average person on the street, they don't have a clue. And so many of the words and the language and the sort of way we think about financial services now that I'm in that world and, and the industry more generally have no relevance to people on the outside. So we need to make the language of financial services more human. We need to bring transparency in. Um, and then I think that's also how we look at the leadership within our business. We're trying to run the business in a, in a slightly different way. So it's the three of us who, who run it as a collective um, rather than a, a single CEO. And we, we do that because we believe that it mitigates the risk of, um, I suppose, the individual ego running away themselves. You know, that sense checking between three is, is quite powerful. We also then run a, a very flat organization underneath that, which um, is, is delivered through you know, essentially empowering the team around us to, to be independent, take responsibility, but then very much focused on creating you know, an open door policy. So when people need to talk, they need to learn, um, when they make a mistake, they feel able to, to quickly come and talk and, and, and work out what to do and, and get things back on track if it needs it or, or, or just to sort of sense check an idea before delivering it. And, and that we found to be really powerful. So, you know, lots of businesses who got to a similar scale as us will have 30, 40, 50 people, but we've got 17 people who are amazing. Um, they do an incredible amount. Um, and that is, I think, because of the way we, we empower everybody in the business to be a, a leader essentially um, and lead their role, whether it's on the customer service desk, lead that, manage us up rather than us managing you down. And, and that means you can get a lot more done with a lot less people. Fantastic. It sounds like it's really about harnessing the collective and creating a culture of agency where people yeah. um, uh, can take ownership. Fantastic. Good. Good um, so when you're not doing all these things that, that you're doing or climbing Mount Snowden, um what else do you do outside of financial services Carl? uh not a hell of a lot to be honest i've got, I've got three children so um uh and they range from 15 and 12 so yeah that that's sort of very uh interesting period of of, of teenage years and then down to a four-year-old who's oh. yeah just um keep, keeps us busy uh so all all hours of the day you know 5 30 till 11 parenting in between uh in, in between that a bit of work <laughs> Um, so. And you're a keen cyclist as well, I, I seem to yes. remember. Yes. I, well, I used to do a lot of rowing back in, in, when I was younger, and um, that ha had to stop because the hours that rowing demanded and cycling is a nice way to, to go and feel the breeze on your face and get out and, 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 and do something. So cycling and, uh, and then climbing when I, when I get a bit more time. A bit more time. So, so I've got a couple of questions for you. So, so from the perspective of your um, four-year-old, um, what what really 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 needs to to change? Um, okay. The way I've actually I, I have said it, I think um, we would just reiterate the point. But the the sort of our four year old was a bit of a hopefully she won't see this recording, but she was an accident. It, it wasn't planned. Um, and uh, and and then when I had her, I was you know just so conscious at this point. The science had just been running away from us on climate change. It was it was very clear 
that things we have unleashed change which we can't stop now and this will make the world a, you know, a challenging place potentially in, 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 in 40, 50, 60 years time, very much her lifetime. And uh, you know, there was an overwhelming sort of <laughs> sense of not quite doom, but you know, concern when we realized we're having um, a third child. Um, and I think there from her perspective, the number one thing is that we just stop the burning of the, uh, the most destructive um, climate change uh, inducing sort of energies such as coal and, 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 and oil and yeah. uh, as quickly as possible. I think that is, um, you know, that would be the number one thing on that side. I think, yeah. It's, and so, so on the cycling um, side of things, I'm, I'm passionate about incrementalism and, and I know that the British cycling team only managed to achieve some of the things that they did through really looking at incrementalism and making small changes like changing the lycra on their tops or, or really, really tiny, small changes. So if you were to make a call to action for mm. every single human being on this planet to do something really small that would have a major impact, what would mm. that be, Carl? Apart from buying an investment or abundance investment, um, <laughs> the most powerful thing you could do, um, it would be moving from a position of, of eating meat on a daily basis to eating red meat twice a month. Mm. Be a, a massive improvement. So, you know, f- the logic for that is that um, cows emit methane. <laughs> you know, in, and, and that is, methane is is I forgot exactly how many times more climate change inducing than carbon dioxide, but it's tens of times more powerful. Um, and, 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 and therefore the meat industry uh, is one of the major drivers of, of climate change after energy and, and transport, um, but actually something we can quite quickly fix. Um, and one of the beauties of methane is that it, it is in, incredibly warming for our environment, but methane only stays in the environment in its, in its state as methane for something like 20 years and then it breaks down where CO2 is locked in for hundreds of years if not thousands of years so methane is creating a massive issue now stop eating meat as much it it will disappear quite quickly so you hit it here folks only meet twice a month Um, we'd love to hear what your views are on that and if you can commit (laughs) to that let's make our own little impact here on flex in the city carl harder Co-founder and Managing Director of Abundance. We love what you stand for. We love what your organisation stands for. Thank you so much for joining us today on Flex and City. Thank you very much for having me. A lot of fun. You just listened to Flex in the City. Catch us on our next episode.